graciously copied us booklets for them. Um, but we're going to stand and sing Holy, Holy, Holy first. So the first, uh, first grouping is some of my favorite songs. They're all based in Revelation. Some of them are direct scripture. Some of them are based on scripture and theology. Um, just in order to help us think about things from a, a godly perspective and a biblical perspective in our world that's so messed up. Um, we can stand on this rock that God's holy. Um, so, if anybody wants the books, let me know. This one, loosely based on Revelation 4, verse 8. one is Thou Art Worthy, which is from Revelations 4.11. It's also quoted much throughout scripture, but this one is direct from 4.11.
you for your singing. Morning. You got some rain here, I see. That's a nice uh, welcome. It'll uh, make everything grow, weeds included, but uh, let's just live with the good that grows instead of the bad. So, um, We'll do the call to worship. Uh, it's Psalms 59, verse 16. But as for me, I will sing about your power. Each morning I will sing with joy about your unfailing love. For you have been my refuge, a place of safety, when I am in distress. <clears throat> that's, got, uh, that's got a huge meaning to me right now, distress. So, I'll uh, open with a word of prayer. Dear Lord, uh, we just give thanks that uh, we have this place to come and uh, listen to your word. And uh, just uh, that call to worship and what that means that we're in a place of distress that we just need to lean on you and uh, make sure others know that that's where they need to lean. Uh, we just uh, pray for the sermon this morning and uh, that we'll hear what uh, needs to be said and that it'll touch uh, whoever uh, needs to hear it. In your name we pray. Amen. Our scripture reading today is Acts 14. Sorry, I'm going to have to get Chris. 14, 21 to 28. And I forgot my glasses. So this might be a stretch. <laughs> when they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations they must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. They passed through Peseda and came to Pamphylia. And when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. And from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that the Lord had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles, and they remained no little time with the disciples. Thanks, Bonnie. You read that very well, considering no glasses. <laughs> Let's bow in prayer as we prepare to hear what God has for us. Lord God, we just thank you for this passage that is in your word. We know that every part of your word is for us today. And uh, so, Lord, as we look at the record of this events, of these events that are recorded here in Acts, of, of uh, what you did through the Apostle Paul back then, we know that there is a word for us here today as well. Otherwise, you wouldn't have put it in the Bible. And so, Lord, as we look at this passage, help us to understand what it is you're saying to each one of us here. 
Lord, I, I don't know the heart condition. I don't know where everybody's at in their own lives this morning, but you do. So, Lord, I just pray that that whatever is going on in all of our lives, Lord, in, in, in our minds, Lord, that you would just take your word and speak it to us where we need to hear it. We ask this in your name. Amen. In my attempt to find some humor to introduce the sermon, I was searching for jokes about necessities. That was kind of the title. And jokes about necessities didn't find much. Yeah, so I tried a synonymous subject. I thought essentials. Um, and when I looked on that subject, most of the jokes I came across were about essential oils. I guess that's a thing these days. So. <laughs> I have a daughter that seems to like them. <laughs> uh, I, I personally don't quite get it. I, uh, I've never bought any essential oils. I've never used any essential oils. I'm still here. I... <laughs> so I guess they're not all that essential is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> but that word essential did bring up a joke I heard a few years back that I forgot about. Uh, but it's a great joke. I, it was told by a former member of this church, right from this pulpit, a former member that we all know and love, which will remain unnamed. <laughs> I wasn't here when it was told, I just heard about it later. I was on vacation. <laughs> Had to do with the length of a sermon. Uh, and maybe I need to hear this, because I've been thinking, even before I read this joke, that uh, the past few months my sermons maybe are getting a bit on the long side. Uh, so, anyway, here it is. A sermon should be like a miniskirt. <laughs> long enough to color, cover the essentials, short enough to hold your attention. <laughs> yeah, I probably shouldn't have told that. <laughs> But in most everything in life, there are things that are essential, things that are necessary, and there are things that are also a bit more periphery. The necessary things are things that must be there for it to exist, or for it to happen. Periphery things are things that may enhance or approve or add color or whatever, but they're not absolute necessities. Sometimes we get confused about those things. And we focus on peripheries and neglect the necessities. And when that happens, the end result is never good. It's always a failure. The passage we come to today in our series through the book of Acts records Paul and Barnabas finishing off what was or has come to be known by Bible scholars as Paul's first missionary journey. So this passage that we're in today finishes off that first missionary journey. We left off last week, you remember, with Paul and Barnabas leaving the city of Lystra, or Lystra, I'm not sure how to pronounce that, but uh, because of the persecution, they left there. They had stoned Paul, left him for dead, uh, but he revived, and uh, the next day he and Barnabas left the city of Lystra and went on to Derby. These cities, you remember, I explained this last week, uh, uh, Lystra and Derby, along with Iconium, were cities in the southern area of the Roman province of Galatia. Uh, that district in Galatia was called Lyconia. So Lyconia was kind of a district within the province of Galatia. So kind of like an RM maybe in today's vernacular. 
but later on, Paul would write a letter to these cities of Galatia that were started here on this first missionary journey. We have that letter in our Bibles. Um, it's called Galatians. <laughs> and it's written to these churches that Paul started here. Acts 14, 21 to 28, is the passage we come to today. Uh, so, you remember we ended last week with them going to Derby, verse 21, as we start in chapter 14, verse 21, we pick up the story. Uh, it starts with them preaching the gospel in Derby, and the passage then records what happened next. After bringing the gospel to Derby, they decided to start heading back home. But on their way, they revisited the places that they had already been and met with those believers who had become Christians upon hearing the gospel the first time they were there. And the goal of the second visit was to encourage these new Christians to keep on in the faith, to stay true, to keep on growing. And so it's a passage that speaks to the subject of discipleship. And in so doing, it speaks to some things that are necessities when it comes to making disciples. Let's look at them. We need to have a good understanding of what is necessary for discipleship and the study of the events that are recorded for us in this passage uh, will show us what some of those necessities are. So I see three things here. Big surprise that it's three. Usually is. <laughs> anyway, number one. There's the necessity of strengthening new Christians. The necessity of strengthening new Christians. And I'm looking here at verse 21 to the first part of verse 22. They preached the gospel in Derby. And it says that they made many disciples there, and that's all we know about Derby. That's all it says. And then they started back home. And on their journey back home, they revisited Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. And my first thought when I read that was, wow, they're a brave bunch. <laughs> they got kicked out of those cities when they left, were first there. In Lystra, Paul was stoned and left for dead, and now they're going back there? We aren't told how long a time period it was between those two visits. can't have been all that long, though. But, as I'm thinking about it, there is a difference between those two visits in these cities. On the first visit, they publicly and openly preached the gospel, urging the people to believe that Jesus was the Savior, was the Messiah, and uh, the only way to salvation from sins. And that preaching was resented by some who stirred up the public and the influential leaders in those cities against them, and thus they were kicked out of town. Now, this second visit was just a visit with those believers, with those who had on the first visit placed their faith in Jesus and accepted him as Savior. They didn't do any open preaching of the gospel on the second visit. They just met with these new Christians. So the likelihood of them getting into trouble with these leaders just for visiting <laughs> Uh, with the believers uh, was slim to none. But they felt it necessary to revisit these new believers. These, they sincerely cared about them and were convinced about their were concerned about their, their well-being moving forward. Paul and Barnabas had been forced to leave these cities before they would have wanted to. Um, these new believers needed more teaching. They needed more grounding. And so they revisited them. And the beginning of the verse 22 says, tells us that the reason for them going back to visit these disciples 
uh, what that reason is. They revisited them, strengthening their souls and encouraging them. And that's what I want us to see here. This gives us the first necessity of discipleship that comes out of this passage. Thunder? <laughs> my hearing aids? <laughs> Something's banging in my head. <laughs> first necessity of discipleship that comes out of this passage is the necessity of strengthening new believers. Now, obviously, the first step of discipleship is appointing someone to Jesus and leading that person to place their faith in Jesus. That's a given. But the next step is the necessity of strengthening that new believer. In some ways, becoming a Christian is a bit like a physical birth. Jesus described it as being born again when he was talking to Nicodemus in John chapter 3. Uh, when you make the choice to place your faith in Jesus, it's like you're being born into God's family. You're a new baby in God's family. So in the case of a physical birth, when a baby is born, you don't just leave that baby on its own and walk away. <laughs> right? All you mothers here have had babies? No, that's not what you do. Just leave the baby, walk away, focus on having more babies? No, that baby needs to be taken care of. It needs to be fed, it needs to be nurtured, it needs to be taught. All these things necessary to raise in a child. And it's a bit similar in the spiritual realm. New baby Christians need to be taken care of. They need to be fed and nurtured and taught. That's a necessity of discipleship. And so for that reason, Paul and Barnabas went Back to visit again these new believers in these cities where they had preached the gospel. They needed to strengthen and encourage these new believers. Help them grow. Give them some nurturing. Give them some further teaching that they needed. That was and that is a necessity of discipleship. Now as a church, the job Jesus has given us is to make disciples. The first step is a given, as I've already said, to introduce people to Jesus and lead them to place their faith in him and accept him as their savior. That's a given. But after that, there is a necessity of strengthening a new believer. That means taking care of a baby Christian, feeding him or her, nurturing, teaching, doing all that's necessary to bring that Christian to maturity. It's a necessity of discipleship. It's an essential Without that, discipleship doesn't happen. So that's number one. Number two, there's a necessity of instilling an eternal mindset. Necessity of instilling an eternal mindset. I'm looking on to the rest here of verse 22. Last part of verse 22. Paul and Barnabas encouraged these new believers to continue in the faith and told them, as part of that encouragement that it will be through many tribulations that we will enter the kingdom of God. Why would Paul and Barnabas tell them that? Obviously because they needed to understand that life, or what life would be like for them as Christians. It wouldn't be easy street. They would be facing many tribulations going forward in their Christian lives. They have become part of the kingdom of God and that will, of course, 
culminate when Jesus returns and we will enter fully into his kingdom and eternity with him. But it is through many tribulations that we must enter it. And that was especially true for those first generation Christians who faced tremendous persecution. Uh, first coming from the Jews and then later on from the Roman authorities. Paul and Barnabas are here warning these new Christians that this was going to happen. Their lives as Christians are not going to be easy. There will be many tribulations. But it will be worth it when we get to heaven and eternity with Christ. Entering the kingdom of God comes through many tribulations. I've described it as having an eternal mindset. Being a Christian, friends, is not about this life here on earth only. Being a Christian is not only about our remaining years on planet earth. It includes this life, but it isn't all there is. There's an eternity coming. So you could con conclude that the years we have left on planet earth are only a small part of life as a Christian. And for sure, being a Christian isn't about making life easy here on earth. It isn't about, being a Christian isn't about financial gain. It isn't about having perfect physical health. It isn't about freedom from personal struggle. That would be a very limited temporal and worldly mindset. Discipleship is about instilling in new Christians an eternal mindset. Where the focus of their thinking and their lives includes eternity and being part of the kingdom of God. For the Christian, our remaining years on earth many times will be about tribulations. And it is through those tribulations that we will enter the kingdom of God. And we need to understand that. And live with that knowledge and that mindset, an eternal mindset. And as we make disciples and help new baby Christians grow and develop and mature, we need to, through our teaching, instill an eternal mindset in these new believers. It isn't about a good life here and now. It's about eternity and preparation for eternity. And notice Paul and Barnabas encourage these new believers to continue on in their faith. It won't be easy. Tribulations will come. Be forewarned, Paul and Barnabas are saying here. Because the temptation will be, when they, those tribulations do come, the temptation will be that being a Christian isn't worth it. Be easy to fall into the thinking, you know, being a Christian just makes things worse. And, yeah, it often does. Because when you become a Christian, you start swimming up current, upstream. You start going against the way of the society around us. You start swimming upstream. You start living with a mindset and with goals and with thinking that is opposite of our society around us. So it does sometimes get worse when you become a Christian. Life gets worse. 
as far as this physical world is concerned and the struggles we go through. So the temptation will be, oh, it's just not worth it. I'm just going to pack it in, forget about this Christian faith. It's, it's too much of a struggle. So that'll be the temptation. So Paul encouraged them and Barnabas encouraged them to not lose the faith. Stay strong. Continue on in their faith. These tribulations will come, but they have a purpose. It is through them we enter the kingdom of God. It isn't about this life only. We need to think with an eternal mindset. Now this is a necessity. This is an essential of discipleship. To instill in new Christians an eternal mindset. That life on this earth isn't going to be easy. But it isn't about just this life. It's about eternity. So for this to happen, us as more mature Christians need to have this mindset as well. I think generally speaking, even many older, supposedly more mature Christians don't really have an eternal mindset. We very much think and live our lives with an earthly and a worldly mindset. We are focused on this life only. And we want our faith in Jesus to make our life on this world good for us. That's what we're wanting out of our faith in Jesus, to make this life good for us. In the sense of freedom from tribulations, or at least a quick rescue from tribulations. You get sick, well, yeah, I guess sickness happens, but we want our faith in Jesus to... Get rid of that sickness very quickly. <laughs> that's what we want. That's, that's kind of a, our, our line of thinking many times with the very earthly, worldly, kind of this life only mindset. And that's what many make their faith in Jesus about. But that is not consistent with the teachings of the Word of God. That thinking doesn't make for a good disciple of Jesus. <laughs> Maybe us as Christians in the Western world need to do some growing ourselves and become stronger disciples ourselves in this area. And then as we disciple newer Christians to make sure that this instilling of an eternal mindset happens. It has to. Uh, it's a necessity of discipleship. It's an essential. Then thirdly and finally... The necessity of providing leadership for continued growth. Necessity of providing leadership for continued growth. And this is kind of more of a, this third point, more of a how-to for the first two. But it is a necessity, very much. Verse 23, let's read it. When they had appointed elders for them in every church, having prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So in each of these cities where they had preached the gospel, and there was a body of believers now. They appointed elders in that body of believers. They prayed and fasted and committed them to the Lord. This is important, as the rest of the New Testament brings out. There was a body of believers now in each of these cities. They needed to be organized and put on a good foundation. And Paul and Barnabas couldn't stay there and forever and shepherd these people. God had called Paul and Barnabas to a different task. So what Paul and Barnabas did 
They appointed elders for each of these body of believers. And as you read through the book of Acts and you read through Paul's epistles, you'll see that this was always Paul's practice. He came to a city, he preached the gospel, usually many believed. He would stay there for a time teaching these new believers, and then he would move on. Sometimes he was forced to move on because of persecution, sometimes other things happened, but he would move on. But before he moved on, he would appoint elders for that body of believers who would continue to lead that congregation to further growth in their faith. If you would do a study of the New Testament on this subject of elders, and uh, as elders of our church, we have done this many times, and uh, almost every elders meeting we do some talking about this. What does the Bible say about elders? But if you do that study, you would see that the elder's job is to shepherd the flock. To teach God's word, to guard the flock from false teaching and heresy, from the false teachers that spread it, and to lead the flock in growth to maturity and in doing the work God has called them to do. And the New Testament gives us a list of qualifications that an elder must have. They must meet. There's a few lists actually, two or three of them. Uh, they need to be men of strong Christian character. They need to be men of good reputation, both in the church and outside the church. They need to be well-grounded in the word of God so they can protect the flock from false teaching and be able to teach the truth to people and so on. And so after Paul and Barnabas left, it was up to these elders then that they appointed to take care of this group of new believers which was now the church in that city or in that community. So, putting it all together, it is clear that Paul and Barnabas put some deliberate prayer and seeking the face of God on this, said with prayer and fasting, uh, and with God's guidance, appointed they appointed the men God directed them to appoint, people who had the qualifications God wanted, and could take the flock from here on. Now, I was looking at that, and I was thinking, boy, at this point, they're all new believers. Every one of them are new believers. But I thought about it some more, and as you go back and look at who Paul preached to and who believed and whatever, there were some, and in every one of those groups, there were some that had a background in the Old Testament scriptures and had been worshipers of God for a long time. And upon hearing about Jesus, as Paul and Barnabas preached, they made that connection between what Paul was preaching about Jesus. They made the connection with the, what the Old Testament said, and then they saw the truth of it, and they accepted Jesus and their Messiah. So there would have been some who had a good grounding in biblical truth. And now with the coming of the Holy Spirit, they would have the Holy Spirit indwelling them and guiding them in the doing of their job. And so these new believers were not left on their own. They had a church family. And they had, and this church family had elders to lead them. And that's another necessity of discipleship. New Christians, or any Christian for that matter, need a spiritual family and spiritual leadership to help them grow. By Jesus' design, 
that needs to come from the church. That's how Jesus, our head, the head of the church, that's how he designed it to happen. That kind of thing comes from the church. A local church in a community who is under the leadership and guidance of elders who will give the needed teaching to help them grow to maturity. And the leadership the church needs for it to be what God wants it to be in that community provided by those elders. It's in that setting, by God's design, that a disciple is made. It's a necessity for discipleship, an essential, if you will. New Christians, and all Christians, need to be provided leadership for continued growth. And that happens as a church family is provided for them. And specifically, a church family led by qualified and gifted elders who provide the necessary teaching and shepherding a church family needs. That's in the necessity of discipleship. Without that, I don't think discipleship happens. You might argue with me on that. <laughs> think, well, we all have good books. We all can watch speakers on TV. We all can do this and that. I yeah, yeah, you couldn't do that. But so much of what discipleship is about can only happen within a church body where we come together, we fellowship together, we relate with one another. How many of the commands in the New Testament about how we are to act and react and get along with people and uh, treat people and how to love people, how to care for people, how to how to deal with those we disagree with and all kind of thing. That's all part of the discipleship process. If you're not making yourself a part of a group, how can that happen? If you're just lone ranger, you not it and, and not being part of a church family, how can a lot of those things happen? I don't think discipleship happens outside of involvement in a church family. It's an essential of discipleship. This chapter closes with Paul and Barnabas heading back to the coast, stopping to speak the gospel in Perga. They had come through Perga on the way in, but they didn't stop there. But now going back, they stopped there and preached the gospel there, and then they sailed back home. And back at Antioch in Syria, notice there's two Antiochs mentioned in this passage. There's that Antioch of Pisidia, which was up in that Roman province of Galatia, or in that area, and then... There is Antioch in Syria, which is where the church, their home church was who sent them up. So back in Antioch in Syria, they got back to the church that had originally sent them out, their home church. They gathered the people together and gave a report of what God had done through them and how the door had been opened to them, or for them, to the Gentiles. And the Gentiles are very responsive and accepting of the gospel. And so it says they spent a long time there with the believers in Antioch in Syria. So therefore then we see from these events recorded in this passage some necessities for discipleship. They are necessity of strengthening new believers, the necessity of instilling an eternal mindset, and the necessity of providing leadership for continued growth. Jesus has called us to make disciples. That's what he called us as Christians and as a church to do. And to do that, these things are necessities. We can't make disciples without them.
We need to remember these things as we go about our job of making disciples. So as we close this off, a couple things we need to think about and take home with us and uh, chew on this coming week. Number one, are we personally on this discipleship process? Am I personally on this discipleship process? Am I growing as a disciple of Jesus Christ? Have I first of all made the choice to place my faith in Jesus, recognizing that he's my savior, to bring salvation for my sins, which I desperately need, we're all sinners. I place my faith in him and come to him and ask forgiveness for my sins and accept him to my heart to be my savior. That's the first step, obviously, that's a given. Have you done that? And then are you growing or are you just being stuck as a little baby? <laughs> you know, it would be pretty disgusting to see a 40-year-old person sucking on a bottle like a But how many Christians accept Jesus Christ are born and baby and they never take another step to grow up that? They're still 40 years later stuck in a how are you doing? How am I doing on that discipleship process? Am I growing in my faith? Am I growing as a Christian? Am I learning more? Am I becoming more mature? Am I becoming more Christ-like? Is the fruit of the Spirit more and more evident in my life? So that's the first thing to chew on this coming week. And second, as a church, let's think collectively as a church, are we providing newer Christians with these things necessary for discipleship? And that's something we as a church need to think about and evaluate. Let's take our time of silence and just open yourselves up to what God may be saying to you personally this morning. Our next song is called Revelation Song, which is from the book of Revelation. So it's not directly quoting scripture through the whole thing, but it is teaching us <clears throat> about the book of Revelation. There are some that are direct scripture verses as well. Let's stand and sing together.
one is worthy as a lamb and this one is directly from Revelation 5 verse 11 and 12. Strength, honor, and glory. 
Thank you for your singing. 